0: This is my culpa. Oh,
1: baby, don't lie
0: for me. If I tell you my story, don't cry for me. I tell my time. That's fine by me. This is my mayor mayor culpa. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast. Now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner to find all future episodes of our show. And now for the news. Further dividing the country, Republicans voted in favor of a Biden impeachment inquiry late Wednesday, wasting taxpayers' money and time in pursuit of revenge. They crossed the Rubicon with no evidence, but this was what they've wanted since they took the House. Or should I say, it's what Donald wanted, and they just all fell in line. This is sheerly a craven political act, that has nothing to do with the law. But it's my opinion that the Biden administration will stand up to them with facts, with logic, and really good lawyers who will put them all to shame and run their sorry MAGA asses right out of office in 2024. Now, before the House voted on their baseless impeachment inquiry, Hunter Biden stepped into the ring with MAGA and my money is on Hunter. Hunter told reporters on the steps of the Capitol that he was ready to testify in front of the House of Representatives and the world. He admits to being an addict who made some very bad choices while being in the depth of his addiction. But I'll tell you what else he did. He made it crystal fucking clear that his father was not involved in his business. He also called out the Republicans who have been relentlessly hazing him by name. And here's who we called out. James Comer, Jim Bag Jordan, Jason Smith, and all of their cronies. And Hunter said, and I quote, they have taken the light of my dad's love for me and presented it as darkness. But from the evidence or the lack of evidence here, the only tangible thing they have on the president are some interest-free loan repayments that Hunter made to his dad and you can argue, the president lost money on. Now I have to include this one bit of good news, even as the war in Gaza rages on. Some good things have happened in the Middle East this week. Negotiators from nearly 200 countries came together in Dubai for the United Nations Climate Change Conference which closed on Wednesday with a historic agreement that signals the beginning of the end of fossil fuel era. The agreement lays the groundwork for a swift, just and equitable transition into green energy that promises deep emissions cuts and scaled up financial commitments from around the world. Now, it's a good sign that the oil rich nations of the Middle East are on board as well. It's now up to us, ordinary people, to pitch in and change the world. We just can't give up on climate change and we can't give up on Ukraine either. This will be brief, but as the Republicans skulk out of Washington for their warm and cozy holiday celebrations, I want them to think about the freezing fighters in Ukraine who need our support more now than ever. It's near impossible now that the House will pass a bill to support Ukraine until after the New Year. But shame on them for supporting Putin and letting the world crumble on their watch. It's further evidence that MAGA would let a democracy lose so a dictator can win. Because that's what they want, a dictator. And just in case you haven't been playing along, these are just some of Trump's recently stated goals, should he, God forbid, a million times return to the White House. And I bring them to you in no particular order. He will, one, suspend the Constitution. Two, end birthright citizenship. Another, three, arrest urban homeless and send them to camps. Four, you can't believe this one. Execute everyone convicted of dealing drugs. Here's another five. Execute generals that aren't in his pocket. Six, silence the opposition press. Seven, prosecute political opponents. Eight, invoke the Insurrection Act against protesters. Nine, abandon NATO. And 10, well, Abandon Ukraine. Oh wait, there's more, how about 11? Attack Mexico if they don't pay for building the wall. I mean, you know, purge the government and fill it with loyalists. And he will drill, drill, drill. If that's not the wish list of an authoritarian dictator, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the fuck is. Now, in other news, Rudy fucking colluding drunken Giuliani has a particular talent for fucking himself, as proven by his recent actions during his defamation trial in Washington, D.C. Still thinking that he's untouchable, he keeps shooting off his mouth and defaming the women that he's already been found guilty of defaming in the first place. Sound familiar? Yeah, Trump is doing the same thing with Eugene Carroll. The only difference is Giuliani has systematically lied to the press, lied on his podcast, and he lied to the judge. And let us not forget that the whole case is predicated on the big lie. And Giuliani's false claims that Georgia poll workers Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shai Moss, helped to steal the 2020 election during testimony Moss sobbed she sobbed as she described how she feared she would be murdered what she said was she felt like she lost her career her sense of safety and her mental health what's more Trump Giuliani and the rest of MAGA world has kept on lying and quote here's the quote even after they were debunked, Moss said, but they're powerful people. And I know she's right because I feel the same thing, something I talk to you about all the time. When asked outside the courtroom if he was sorry that he targeted the women, here's what Rudy colluding, Drunken Giuliani told reporters. Of course, I'm not sorry. I was telling the truth. Rudy's not told the truth in decades, so why start now? But within hours, the plaintiffs had filed a motion with the judge seeking to limit Giuliani's ability to repeat his defamation on the stand. I'll remind you that Judge Howell entered a default judgment against Giuliani in August. He's already been found guilty, so the facts are no longer in dispute. Right now, it's now up to the eight-person jury to decide just how much it's gonna cost him. Again, sound familiar? Yeah, it's just like the Trump case. There's also a lot of news about Trump's various trials, and we will get to that with our guest, Jill Wine-Banks. Tuesday, Jack Smith announced that he had extracted and processed data from the White House cell phones used by the defendant, former President Donald J. Trump, in and around January 6th. Now, that's good news since seven hours of White House phone logs from the 6th turned up missing. Fucking shocker? No! And we want to know who Trump was talking to when he should have been calling for help as the mob descended on Congress. Now, I'll tell you what Trump did have. He had time to tweet to the rioters who, in turn, decided to hang Mike Pence. But I'm sure there's plenty of evidence to be found on that phone. And suffice to say that Jack Smith called Trump's bluff when he asked the Supreme Court to decide whether or not Trump has presidential immunity and is in fact immune from the whole process of an election fraud trial. But until the Supreme Court has ruled, Judge Tanya Chutkin has hit the pause button on Trump's federal election case. Now that gag order is still in place, but you bet that he'll defy that gag order too. Because Trump's favorite tactic, delay, 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 might help him for now, but not forever. And now for the main event. So we welcome back to mea culpa, the prolific Jill Banks. Jill is currently an MSNBC legal analyst, appearing regularly on prime time and daytime shows. Jill has written numerous op-eds for NBC.com, Chicago Tribune, The Washington Post, Politico, and The Huffington Post to name just a few. Wine Banks was at one time a prosecutor at the United States Department of Justice in DC, specializing in organized crime. And one of only three assistant Watergate special prosecutors later wrote a book about it called Watergate Girl, my fight for truth and justice against a criminal president. I mean, it's it's really, Jill is truly spectacular. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Jill, great to have you back on the show. There's so much to talk about, so we, of course, as always, just going to jump right into it.
1: Thank you, Michael. I'm so glad to be
0: with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. If you or I had said and done what Trump has done to disrupt his various court cases... We would have had our, our, our bond revoked and we'd be held until trial. Having dealt with Nixon, who also felt that he was above the law, do you think it's right that Trump is still walking free?
1: Well, let me say there's a big difference. Nixon said if the president does it, it's not illegal by definition. He definitely set the tone for the president is above the law and that the ends justify the means but he didn't get away with it. And ultimately he obeyed the subpoena. He obeyed a court order. Donald Trump does not, has not, and likely will not. I've never met him, so I can't say from personal knowledge, but if past is prologue, if history repeats itself or even rhymes, he will continue to violate the gag order. He will continue to do as Rudy Giuliani has done he can't stop himself from redefaming the two people he's on trial at this very moment for defaming. And he goes outside the courtroom and he says, well, everything I said was true. Oh, my God, it's already been ruled
0: a lie. <laughs> You're right. And, and I do know Donald, and he truly does not care. But what bothers me about that whole issue, I would love to have seen, for example, Judge N'Goron... Extend the gag order to witnesses. Now, of course, whoever the defense witnesses, Donald's not going to attack them. Right. Um, For example, he's got this one witness, Eli Bartov, who's a new NYU, I don't know, accounting expert or whatever he is. A
1: practice expert. Without practice. Yes,
0: a practice expert. If you listen to Trump talk about him, it's very reminiscent of the way he used to talk about me in 2017, when he'd have these these rallies or these um, these uh, you know different uh, money-making sort of lunches and dinners, and he'd praise me. Is Michael Cohen there? Is Michael in the room? Michael's a great guy. He's a great friend. He's a brilliant lawyer. He just, he loves television, yada, 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 right? He goes on like what he's doing with this guy, Bartov. But God forbid you tell the truth. Let me tell you, this is what you get. This is what the guy actually posted. Don't forget, in addition to everything else in the fake and fraudulent case that Peekaboo has brought against me, their so-called Star and only witness, sleazebag and disbarred former lawyer Michael Cohen admitted in court to repeatedly lying under oath. It was a total breakdown, a non-recoverable Perry Mason moment. That alone ends the Biden-driven witch hunt election interference. Now, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines, I think you have 30 lies that are there, 30, I mean, it's really amazing, first of all, it's not a fake case, it's not a fraudulent case, her name is not peekaboo, that's, of course, a derogatory term that he's using to our incredible attorney general, Sister James, Um, I am not the star and only witness, so now you're up to five, I'm far from a sleazebag, I am disbarred, so he's right about that. Um, You know, he's got my name right. I never admitted to court, uh, in court, to repeatedly lying under oath. They take it out of context. And this is the whole thing with Trump. I wish, I wish, I wish that Judge Ngoron would have expanded the gag order, not just to his staff, but also... To witnesses, don't you think that they should be protecting witnesses as well? Because, truth be told, if I had a time machine and I could look back and see exactly what happens to me today because of these posts, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, co- I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't cooperate because the hate that I am receiving, the attacks that I am getting on a daily basis. It's overwhelming. It's not just overwhelming. Jill, pardon my French. It's fucking exhausting. It shreds your heart. It destroys your soul. It fucks with your mind. I wouldn't do it. And I don't care, subpoena, non-subpoena. I love the fact that he's taking care of his law clerk. But what about me? What about other witnesses?
1: Has your lawyer ever inquired about it? Because it is not uncommon to protect Witnesses, jurors, and and court staff obviously needed it because she was and has been, and continues to be attacked. His lawyers are attacking her, so it's 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 continuing. Um, I certainly agree with you that it is not only not uncommon, but it would be wise to protect witnesses for their role as witnesses. The reason that this has been tricky is because witnesses, particularly in other cases, are people who are political opponents, either running against him. I mean, for example, Mike Pence was at one time a candidate in the primary Republican primaries to be president. Um, and so you can't bar Trump from saying he has bad policies. He's a bad person. He shouldn't be your nominee. But When it comes to you, I don't think there's any particular reason why you would be outside the parameters, why any First Amendment right that Donald Trump has, because remember, he is two different people. He is a candidate for president and a former president. Maybe he's three different people. He's a former president, a candidate for future president, Hmm. but he is also a legitimate criminal defendant. And criminal defendants have different sets of rights, lesser than other people. And as a criminal defendant, you are correct that if someone violated the rules of court, they would be penalized and it wouldn't be 5,000 here and 10,000 there. And then he would continue to reiterate the things that caused him to do that. They would be jailed. They would be, even, even if it was home detention, rather than a being in a jail cell. And it is tricky. I mean, you would certainly admit that when someone is running as president, it appears political no matter what you do, even though we have said a million times, look what happened to um, uh, Bankman Freed. He was put in jail. Yep. Well, he's a criminal defendant, and that's what happens when you do something that violates the terms of your release. You get unreleased, you get incarcerated. So um, I, I agree. He's being treated better than other people. And that is wrong from our standards of justice in America.
0: You know, Jill, I tell you, I'm on the telephone with my father and uh, he's re- you know retired head and neck reconstructive surgeon there in the Florida area, enjoying playing cards and golf the whole bit. And he calls me up as Trump is heading to Georgia in order to get his mugshot. I'm not sure if it was mugshot two, number three, and number four, whatever it was. And my father says to me, is this a nominee for the presidency? Is this just a guy who's running? Is this a king? I've never seen anything like it. He goes, there's 30 motorcycle police officers followed by a whole slew of police cars followed by an ambulance by a fire truck and a bunch then of more motorcycles um you know police officers and they shut down the roads and they're Driving him straight through there, and then he gets out and he starts waving to the camera. It's almost like you would think that he just he's like a conquering yeah. king that just returned home. No, he was going in for you know for a moat shot, and my father jokingly turns around and says to me, "I'm not sure I remember that that's how it worked <laughs> for you, so I said, because pop, that's not how it worked for me I said me I took the subway, I went in, and and then I took the subway back like the the common people do, not like the king. I mean, he rolled up like a rock star. He rolled up like a king or a monarch or the Fuhrer. It's really wrong. And that's one of the reasons why there are still so many MAGA supporters. They see this, and they see this as, I hate to say it, as a win for Trump, Over the system, because in my opinion, it is he should have sat and look, he has Secret Service protection. That's his right as a former president. I'm not sure he gets to keep it if he gets indicted. That's never been tested before. But sit in a car with your Secret Service like everybody else in traffic. And when you get there, find a spot, put money in the meter Make sure that you have enough. Otherwise, you're going to get a parking ticket. Go inside and be treated the same as every other person who's charged that's required to go in. That's just the way I see it. Instead, there's this hand-holding. There's this glorification of his criminal acts.
1: Well, I see it a little differently or have a different solution. And part of that is the media should not be covering From the time he leaves Mar-a-Lago to get on his plane, to following the flight, to landing the plane, to getting the motorcade Motorcade. into the courtroom. Um, He does get, and particularly at least until he's convicted, and maybe even after he's convicted. I mean, it is definitely untested as to what would happen if he were convicted and sentenced other than to home confinement, what would happen. But the media does not have to cover it. I was nauseated the first time it happened, and I turned it off the second time. I don't think that it's appropriate to make him look like a conquering hero going to court. That's just wrong. And he doesn't have to have the media scrum after he comes out of court where he can say anything he wants, and it gets portrayed. And you're right, it is a fundraising methodology for him, where he says this and his people send him money to keep him out of harm's way. That is absurd (laughs) that it happens. And it's absurd that the press keeps covering it. Um, The coverage is simply not fair. It's the same thing. He makes more gaffes than Joe Biden. If Joe Biden says anything that's a slight mistake, he says, oh, I'm sorry, let's go on. Trump pretends like he never did it. But the press Mm -hmm. covers anything that Biden says as if it was major news and ignores all the things that Trump does. And if you're gonna report one, you have to report both. And so I would say press coverage is partly responsible for the misimpression that people have. And the best antidote to all this is to get the trial done and done quickly. And there are some hurdles right now being presented in court, that could cause a delay, and at some point it gets too close to the election. And this needs to be resolved before the nomination, but certainly before the election. So I just think we need to do a lot in terms of the system of justice and the media reporting of it.
0: Yeah, totally agree. You know, with the case that's going on right now, the New York uh, civil fraud trial, the $250 million base uh, fraud trial, today they finished with defense witness um, Bartov. And I was blown away when one of the reporters contacted me right after they finished at 12.30 in the afternoon. It appears that government has two rebuttal witnesses that they want to bring in. And there was a whole back and forth that went on. And And Goron, who I think, I actually think is really a fantastic judge, um, you know, having sat in the witness chair in his court. I really do. I think he's very fair, despite what Trump wants to say. Um, January, I think- 11th. 5th? 11th. Oh, 11th. They're coming back. For these two rebuttal and I think summation is on the 15th of January. Now, this is really scary because that's just the civil fraud trial. That's another 30 days of a delay in terms of getting that case finished. And the reason I say that is either the Jack Smith case or the Alvin Bragg case will be starting in March. I don't believe that N'Goran may have the decision to that case before the next case starts, assuming that Trump already does and I mean, look, it brings me to my next question. Well, let me the interrupt you for a second because
1: E. Jean Carroll's case is going to start in January.
0: So... Yeah, but E. Jean's case is a simple one because Donald's not even showing up. It's merely... Did he say what he said? And are they going to smack him with an additional um, well, defamation? Basically,
1: claim? the that- New York civil fraud case is also already decided that he did commit fraud, not that he is a fraud, right. even though that's what he keeps saying. It's that he committed fraud, that he submitted fraudulent papers. And it's only a question of what are the damages. And the same is true in the Eugene Carroll case, where it's How much damage did she suffer for the second one, not just in terms of actual damages, but how much punitive damages should be assessed to stop him from doing it a third time? Because obviously the huge set amount that she was awarded in case number one didn't stop him from immediately repeating the falsehoods that got him convicted in the first one. So it is just a question of damages in both. But I'm just saying in terms of scheduling... What comes next? Mm-hmm. E. Jean Carroll comes next, and I I have not read as of yet why the final um, summation has been put off so
0: long. um yeah, it, it's know. they wanted longer. I, yes, Trump's defense team wanted well, even longer. I, it, hey, Jill, could we play a quick sure. game? Could we play a quick game? How much do you think that the judge is going to award in punitive damages to E. Jean?
1: Well. It might have been more, but since the ask was only 250 million, it's uh, that's the minimum. Might he go?
0: No, no, that's the civil. Oh, oh, oh that's I'm the sorry, Eugene. Yeah, oh, E-Gene. E-Gene?
1: oh e- e- yeah. For, yeah. I'm sorry, I missed the question. Eugene is going to be more than a billion. It has to be because she uh, she was immediately no. defamed. Well. It's, it's certainly going to be a couple million, at least, um, more than the last one. Because...
0: So I think the last one was what, five, five million? million?
1: And it ha- That's why I said a billion is right. not, you know, you said, no, no, no. But really, is it no, no, no when it's the second time and five million did not stop him? No. I mean, if, if five yeah. doesn't stop him, will 10... I don't think so. It's going to have to be something that isn't preposterous, but it is, you know, is 50 million enough, and will he easily raise that from his supporters? He might. so it doesn't actually cost him anything to keep this up.
0: Isn't it that is, crazy? Of course it's yeah. crazy. It's, I mean, it's insane. so I'll give you my, I'll give you my, my, uh, my belief. I think the judge is going to take the five million dollars that was awarded the first time and then they're just going to do treble damages. Yeah. They'll award an additional $15 million. And here's, the, and here's what the judge is going to say. Again, you know, because he'll appeal that like he p- appealed the first one. And the judge will say treble damages in this specific instance of, is punitive because that's yeah. what generally they'll award. But the purpose of awarding the treble damages, the punies, if you do it again... We're now going to take that amount, and we're going to treble damage it yeah. again. So, be be forewarned, be guided by your action that your actions have consequences, Mr. Former President. But Joe, Joe if I can but just remember, go back to the question to I wanted post to that ask.
1: Amount in order to appeal, that, he posted right. the five to appeal. That's, he would have to post fifteen more to appeal the second time.
0: Exactly. So the Supreme Court granted Jack Smith's motion to promptly decide if a president can commit all crimes, past and present and future, with absolute immunity. And Smith's strategy was used by the government in the case of United States versus Nixon to expedite the appellate timeline. Of course, you were there. How were the two cases similar? Well, um, we
1: subpoenaed for trial, 64 additional tapes. And we did that April 16th. Mid-May, it was decided that we were right. In July, we argued in the Supreme Court. We did skip the Court of Appeals. The district court ruled that we had a right to the tapes. And we knew it was going to end up in the Supreme Court. So we applied to the Supreme Court to take it. They canceled their summer recess in order to hear the arguments, and they decided within days of hearing the argument, and within days of that, Richard Nixon resigned because the tape was what became known as the smoking gun tape that absolutely proved that he had knowledge and that he was part of the obstruction. How is it different? That was a case of a subpoena for... Documents, tapes, but basically documents, a subpoena for evidence to be used in a trial, which is different than does he have immunity for the underlying crime, as opposed to does he have a responsibility as an American citizen, which as former president he is, but he was still sitting president. So, number one, Nixon was the sitting president, Donald Trump is the former president. The rights of a sitting president. Are different, but the right of a sitting president Mm -hmm. to ignore a subpoena had already been determined, but not by the Supreme Court. It had been determined that we had a right to the tapes, the first nine tapes we subpoenaed, of which basically we only got six because two were missing and one had an 18 minute gap. So we really only got six. But we got those. And that was a part of a decision that the president's rights are overcome by the need of a criminal case when he has the only source of evidence. So that makes it very different than saying, does the crime for which he's providing the evidence get immunity? But it's sure not a far step from that to say, no way he gets immunity. And uh, Lawrence O'Donnell had a very, very brilliant analysis, based in part on Justice Kavanaugh, before he was Justice Kavanaugh, uh, but the same person, wrote a law review article basically saying that the president, as a sitting president, can't be. But looking at the 14th Amendment, post-presidency, of course he can be. He can commit crimes in office for which he can, while he's in office, he has to be impeached and tried and judged in the impeachment. But after that, whether the outcome is guilt or innocence, he can be tried in the criminal trials. So that was Justice Kavanaugh's opinion 25 years ago. And he quotes the 14th Amendment that says, this is how you can proceed. So I would say that it's pretty clear to me, it also addresses the double jeopardy issue, that it's not double jeopardy Mm -hmm. to stand trial for an impeachable offense which is not a criminal offense it's a it's a very different thing it's
0: it's also not a, it's also not a court of it's law it's not a
1: court of law it's a political decision as opposed to a court of law and a criminal case that has to be proved to the standards of any criminal case so i think to me both on the immunity from ever being tried for anything you did as president even after your president and within the statute of limitations. And I would say you have to toll the statute of limitations if someone can't be tried during his presidency that you got an extra 4 years because of that. Um, I think the court will very quickly decide he is not immune and has no legitimate immunity or double jeopardy claim. Now today there's an extra problem which is that the court is taking up a case about whether the obstruction of the congressional vote on the Electoral College, confirming the Electoral College vote, is an obstruction of a proceeding within the meaning of that, that particular crime. And how that decision <laughs> might affect, it's not Donald Trump appealing it, it's one of the January 6th right. con- felons, convicted felons, who's raising that issue. Which, by the way, is yeah. post-trial. Look, there's
0: so many... Right. Post-trial. I mean, there's so many cases swirling, not just with Donald Trump at the center, but Donald Trump involved. It's really hard to keep your, you know, it's really hard to keep them all. You got to almost put it on an Excel spreadsheet. That's how crazy that this country has gotten. And now I don't know if you saw with Hunter Biden, you know, wanting to testify live. And I don't blame him. By the way, I don't blame him for wanting to testify publicly as opposed to privately, because what they do, and I, I testified publicly, as you know, once right. before the House Oversight Committee, right? God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings. But what people don't know is I testified privately in the skiffs before right. the same group of people six additional times, six more times. And what they do is at the break, they all go running out like a, bunch of little squirrels. They grab a hold of their cell phones and they're texting whoever their contact is at the AP, the Times, the Post, the Washington Post, whatever it might be. And then they're all, you know, sitting there, they're all with the phone to the side. They walk away to the side. Right. And that's really what they that's what they do. So I don't blame him for doing what he's, you know, for doing what he's doing. And look, like, like my mom said, I know how Joe Biden feels right now. You know, she goes, is it any different when, you know, Joe was kissing Hunter on the head? He goes, that's the same thing that both, you know, your father and I did, you know, when you went in to deal with it. So she goes, my heart bleeds for the guy. But can I bring up something? There's another similarity to Watergate. And that's the hours of missing White House call logs from January 6th of 2020. And Jack Smith once i mean he's really one clever son of a gun right he has now extracted the data from trump's white house cell phone in your opinion how important do you think that call log will be to the prosecution so
1: i can tell you that during watergate the white house daily diary and call log was very important to us the way that we identified the tapes that we subpoenaed, for example, was based on who was meeting with who and when, what preceded it, what followed it, what actions did we have testimony happened. I mean, you have John Dean saying on March 21st, I told the president there was a cancer on the presidency. Well, of course, we subpoenaed. We looked at the you know conversations on March 21st, and we subpoenaed that. So it was very helpful to us in developing significant evidence, both in terms of because there turned out to be tape recordings that we had the actual dialogue that happened. Um, and there's no suggestion that there is such a thing now that we'll get actual dialogue. But in terms of sequencing and being able to create a narrative that a jury will understand, it's very important. And so far, it's not clear that they have any, um, of the substance. They just have the sequencing. But that alone is very mm-hmm. important and will, will make a big difference in terms of what he was doing, particularly, let's say, in the hours after the breach of the Capitol, when he could have immediately stopped them, as he did later, but it was way too late by then. Damage had already been done. He could have stopped them. He should have stopped them. That is aiding and abetting them. It is, it is in, an, in and of itself, it's a crime. So I think it'll be very important that they get these things and that they are able to, especially because he does not use email or text. The only way to get him is from his phone, but also my understanding is he uses, you know, he'll grab a phone from whatever aid is standing nearby. So it's not enough yep. to get his phone. You have to get everyone who was in any proximity to him to see if he used their phone. Now, you'd have to be able to figure out whether it was him or them making the call. But that's part of what you develop as the evidence. And people are now seeing you get in a lot of trouble if you don't cooperate. You may even get indicted. And so um, I think that's an issue. I want to address what you said about Hunter and how, I mean, yes, you are in a great position and your parents in a great position to know what it's like to be Joe Biden with a son who has a serious addiction problem and who clearly acted irresponsibly during that period and who hopefully, despite the odds, will stay clean. And the odds are not with him. Uh, Very few addicts actually break addiction. I'm hoping that he has started a new life and that he can break the addiction, be one of the rare ones. But he he did something very brave Probably the right thing to do, but he's deliberately thumbing his nose at Congress. He's doing what Navarro did and got indicted for, which is he, he stood in front of the Capitol and said, but I'm not coming in because you won't let me testify in public. And they set the rules. So he's committed a deliberate act of defiance for, as you said, I agree with you completely, for understandable reasons, it would have been put out there in bits and pieces that do not accurately reflect his testimony. They're out of context, etc. And this is one where context could make a difference, whereas anti-Semitism, I don't think, does. <laughs> um, and so he's he's in a tough position. I I can only imagine that Congress will refer contempt charges and put Merrick Garland in a difficult position of. Does he prosecute or not? On the other hand, he has refused a number of prominent people, including Mark Meadows. So there's a lot of precedent for not going forward. Jim Jordan, too. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yep. Jim Jordan exactly. as well. I, look, you know, it's, I, I applaud him for taking that stand. He wants transparency. Yes. I am fighting every single day for transparency. I filed a FOIA request FOIA comes back with that bullshit line. There are no documents that are relevant to your request. I knew they were lying because I had four or five documents in my possession. If they would have said there's four or five documents, I never would have thought twice about it. I would say, holy shit, I don't know how they did this, but they managed to do it. And none of these documents have any real relevance except that they are specific to the request. That's so funny. When I then brought in Mark Zaid, we filed an action. They come back, oops, you're right. There's 486,000 documents. I am now going on month 21 that the government, the FOIA office was obligated to process a minimum of 500 documents per month. 21 months already. I have gotten zero no. documents. It's Zero. And every time that we try to get something, oh, there's nine more government agencies that have to look through the very first batch in order to see that it doesn't uh, interfere with method and process. It's a giant FU. And that's what I appro- appreciate of Hunter Biden. He's showing the fact that there is no real transparency between government and the people. And that's really a big problem. So, Joe, let me ask you this in furtherance. You think that Jack Smith can actually stop Trump from pushing the D.C. election fraud trial beyond Election Day? Because everybody knows, I've been saying this all along, Donald Trump's game plan is yes. delay, delay, delay. That's what he wants. He wants to get it as close to November as he possibly can so that he can fight and just... Pretend that, you know, it's interfering in his campaign schedule and use that as a way to, again, grift more money from his, um, you know, constituents, from his supporters. But at the same time, to make himself, which he does all the time, make himself look like the victim, when in fact, many of us, myself included, are the victims of Donald's weaponization of the Justice Department, not the other way around. Well,
1: I may be still Pollyanna because it worked during Watergate, but this is a different Supreme Court and a different Congress. There was bipartisanship back in the Watergate era. There is none now. But I still believe that there will be justice. There will be a trial before the election and I'm not sure where the court, if he should win re-election in November, would it be November that cuts off his being president or would it be January when he's inaugurated? Um, I think there's an argument that could be made for saying as the president elect, you can't deter him from doing his preparation for taking over the office by making him stand trial. So for safety, I would say Election Day is the cutoff he cannot be made to be held accountable if it isn't over by then and there's a lot of trials out there waiting to be had in sequence before that and even without delay it would be hard to fit all his just criminal because you're you know there are civil ones but just the criminal ones it's going to be hard but i do believe it's possible I do believe Judge Chutkin is up to the task and that Jack Smith is up to the task in both D.C. and in Florida. Um, And, of course, we have the New York D.A. and we have the um, Fulton County D.A. So I think that those people are up for the challenge and will pursue it. I want to go back to your transparency um, for two reasons. One, I'm on.
0: You mean, mean, I think you mean lack. Well, the the issue of of transparency.
1: And, and the reason, okay. is, I mean, it's <laughs> I, first of all, I'm on the board of the Better Government Association, whose real, real mission is government transparency and FOIA. But you reminded me of the fact that when I was writing my book, which was I started in I started in 2008, but I really got serious um, a few years later after after Trump was elected. Um, I sent in a FOIA request for me because I had been a government employee and I had been, you know, I had been cleared uh, both by the Department of Justice and then subsequently by the Pentagon. And I had a very high security clearance. So they do a pretty, uh, not pretty, a very thorough check. And so I thought, well, there might be something interesting in there that I don't remember that they found out. Um, And so I submitted it. And of course, I got all these garbled, you know, sometime in the future, you'll get it. I just received a disc with my FOIA information. And I sort of, by the time it came, of course, the book was already published. I I haven't looked at it, but you're sort of motivating me to take a look at it and see. Um, I'm going to dig it up
0: be, well, why you take a look at yours? Take a look at mine. You, you, have too much, I, that's too much information. 000. I
1: can't. And besides, if you haven't gotten it, I'm certainly not going to get it. Um, but, you know, mine is one disc. It's not that much. I mean, how much you can put on one disc? So we'll see.
0: But not, maybe, not maybe as, there not is nothing there. Maybe they're saying,
1: <laughs> oh, we haven't reviewed this yet. I don't know. I mean, but you've definitely motivated me to consider, again, looking at my own FOIA request.
0: Yeah, but I'm I'm 21 months. Any one of those, any one of those documents would show how an yeah. unconstitutional remand, first time. It's it's, it's a case of first a yeah. uh, first impression that a United States citizen gets remanded to prison because he fails yeah. or refuses to waive a First Amendment constitutional right. And I can't get I can't get any of the documents when they said that there are no documents, and then ultimately, oops. We made a mistake. 486,000? I don't know. That's a hell of a mistake.
1: That isn't a mistake. That has to have been deliberate, obviously. Yeah. And it, it is astounding. But honestly, without seeing even one single document, you're being remanded on the grounds you were remanded is also astounding. And the First Amendment obviously had a different meaning in that administration than it has ever had before or since.
0: And sadly, if he returns to the White House, you can rest assured that what he did to me was a practice run. He wanted to see what he can do, how far he can get away with something. Now he has the broken the broken play, right? Think of it like a football game. He is the broken play. Couple of tweaks here, couple of new maneuvers there. Next thing you know, he starts sending everybody. Everybody. Uh, with violations. And that was one of the reasons that I'm fighting as hard as I am because something that I've regularly said and I will continue to say it, I don't want what happened to me to happen to you. To anybody that has spoken ill of him that he's angry with, you're going to have guys like Mike Davis, you're going to have Maga Mike Johnson, you're going to have Cash Patel, you're going to have a Steve Bannon, a Steve Miller, a Jason Miller. You're going to have all these maniacs in Power over there and the rest of us are going to be like sitting duck. Well, that's, that's it's it's a scary scary proposition. His campaign
1: is I am your retribution. You are obviously on target as to what the future would hold for anyone in a position of power who has criticized him at any point in their life.
0: Yep. And, and he's pissed about it. So, can I move on for a second to the Georgia-RICO yes. case is set to begin in August. More plea deals are expected as the trial gets closer. But the case is expected to go into 2025. What do you think of Fannie Willis's strategy here? I don't particularly like it. Is a RICO case too risky in your opinion? No,
1: I think RICO is very appropriate. And she has the... Experience with Rico, successful experience, that would give me confidence that she knows exactly what she's doing. And we have seen some pretty major defendants flip and cooperate. And you're certainly going to see others start to cooperate. Um, So I think it's fine. I don't know why they think it would go into 2025 because. I mean, the Watergate case, we tried um, October, November, December, even with all the holidays and had a verdict on January 1st. And that was with many defendants and many counts and involving the president, not as a defendant, but as an unindicted co-conspirator. So I and and juries really do better when they get a concise and clear narrative. If you confuse them with too much stuff, I just wonder. So I think it could be if she started in August. I mean, you do have the problem of August, September, October. November's the election. You're going to have to get a lot out of the way.
0: You just just took, by the way, you just took the words right out of my mouth because the closer you get to November— the more he's going to yep. claim he's the victim of the Biden weaponized Department of Justice. I love his deflection. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the name of my book, right. Revenge, How Donald Trump right. Weaponized the United States Department of Justice Against His Critics. He's now making the same argument. It's the Biden administration that's weaponizing the DOJ against your favorite, the best president ever. Right. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's making himself into the victim and all of his maggots just seem to, you know, fall. You know, they just came to do it. And what drives me crazy here, right, is the case is expected to go to 2025. Yeah. I mean, he'll already at that point in time will already know this only works, by the way, if he loses. Yeah. It doesn't work. If he, if he wins the election. In fact, if he wins the election, there's no doubt in my mind, zero, that Fonnie Willis is going to end up getting a knock on her door from the Trump police, and they will do to her exactly what Donald had done to me. There's no doubt in my mind. And yeah, everybody's like, oh, come on, it's hyperbolic, you're just being you, Michael, bombastic and full of shit. Uh-uh. I'm telling you right off the bat all laws go out the door and he is going to be furious because he'll say you know, that she deserves it they were using government money to come after me blah 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 the whole thing was the witch hunt blah 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 again she, Donald will go after every single person and it's going to this country is going to be thrown into turmoil like we've never seen before you know I was also thinking. Let's assume hypothetically he loses, right? Which technically he should. Think about what he's going to do then. Think about the angst and the anger that he's going to portray, right? That he's going to um, claim and have his supporters sort of do their shtick, if you yeah. know what I mean. I there's. I'm not sure which is worse if he wins well, or loses. Uh-
1: I would say that's an easy answer, that winning would be worse uh, because of the power that comes with the office and the damage that he could do. On the other hand, I do believe that he has captured a large number of people. I don't know exactly how many I would say it is. I don't think it's all of the people who voted for him, but certainly at least half of the people who voted for him. So let's say 35, 40 million people. Are totally in his thrall. They believe anything he says. They believe he is the victim. They believe that Biden is an evil man. They believe his accusation, you know, this whole thing with the impeachment that he paid, you know, he took a bribe to fire the prosecutor general in Ukraine. Total nonsense. No evidence to support it. And evidence, quite to the contrary, that the Department of State. And all our allies wanted that prosecutor fired because he was not prosecuting the people he should have been prosecuting. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can't say that to a MAGA supporter. They believe him. They, They believe so many things. I just had a conversation with someone who said that she was not for Trump, but she also wasn't for Biden. Why wasn't she for Biden? Because he believes in abortion until birth and because he makes her lie by calling someone by their chosen gender when they were born a different gender. And those are the reasons she's against Biden, as a, which aren't true things, number one. Um, but when we are in an existential crisis, when, as you've pointed out, democracy could end and a dictatorship take place, I'm sure that the good citizens of Germany all said, oh, it can't happen here, we don't have to worry, and they did nothing. And Hitler, one step at a time, eliminated certain rights. And before they stopped, every right had been taken away and it was too late for anybody. So I, I do worry seriously about the importance of this election and of getting out the vote and mm-hmm. of motivating people to get their friends to vote, not just them to vote. But it is, this should be the biggest turnout that has ever happened in american history it has to be a huge percentage
0: i totally totally agree with you so can i ask you because you just poured it up i mean look at like the texas supreme Mm -hmm. court since we're talking about rights the texas by the way let me just go back for something that you just said why does she care about somebody who wants to be called a he Born a she or a she. Why do you, why is everybody in everybody's business today? I mean, oh, you know, well, they share the same bathroom. No, they don't. No, they don't. Oh, well, now they're participating in sports. Okay, okay. Let's let us <laughs> turn around and say, is that the specific issue that makes you into a one-issue voter? Let's talk about, for example, the Texas Supreme Court denying a woman a medically necessary abortion for a non-viable fetus. This is how sick that the far right has gotten now. Republicans told us that the ACA was going to dictate our health care, and now it's the courts. Tell me, will these horrific decisions help the Democrats at the ballot box? Or simply just solidify Republican control over the red states? I
1: think it will definitely motivate young voters, women voters, old and young. Uh, I think that the pain of, and there are actually two Texas cases. Uh, Cox is the one who has now fled the state to have a procedure because it would affect her health long term. And she was carrying a a fetus that would have died when it was delivered. Um, but there is another woman who has been denied an abortion who is carrying a non-viable fetus and, um, and the court is making the decision, no, she can't have it. And that's wrong. And I think it will certainly motivate people to maintain the rights that we used to have. I, I grew up in an era of Roe, And I want to go back to that era. And, you know, when this person said to me these two things, I said, well, first of all, you're totally wrong. Democrats believe in abortion until viability, as the Roe court had decided. And then I said, and have you ever met a transgender person? Or do you know a friend of yours who has a transgender child? And she said, no. And I said, well, I know both. And in the same way that Mm -hmm. knowing a same-sex marriage couple will influence how you feel about same-sex marriage and makes it acceptable to Americans, I believe that as more and more people find out who they didn't even know was transgender or find children (laughs) of their friends transitioning, it will change their opinion. I have one friend whose daughter became her son and who was suicidal as a daughter and in part because she was in the wrong body is now in a very happy, loving relationship and has, is no longer suicidal. Uh, she dropped out of school, but is going back now. Um, and so I think when you know the real life stories of these people, it might change people's perceptions of what it means. And, um, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I do think that this is an existential election in terms of just democracy. And I think we have to reduce it. I think you're right. If we reduce it to issues like how would you feel if you or your child were going to become septic because they couldn't get an abortion? And these are happening all the time. How septic do you have to be? I have a friend who's a gynecologist. At what point do you say the patient's life is in danger? How dangerously close to death do they have to be before they can have an abortion? That's the issue that should not exist. That should be a medical decision without fear that they will lose their medical license or their rights to practice medicine in any hospital in the
0: state. No, it's, it's more than that, Jill. It's not just rights to practice in Texas, they can criminally yes. prosecute you for yes. murder if you help. Then you become a conspirator to a murder right. charge. If I gave to this uh, young lady Cox a thousand dollars and told her, "Hey, you know, go to Georgia." Right. Or and so on. I am now complicit in assisting in the murder of this fetus. I can end up going to jail for murder. I mean, it is yeah. out of control how they have now involved themselves into decisions between a, the, the man and the woman, ultimately deciding for the woman what's best for her. I mean, it's to me, I'm just I'm, again, I'm just. I'm blown away. But they don't want to talk about things like, you know, Supreme Court uh, Justices Clarence Thomas or Samuel Alito accepting luxury vacations from billionaires, right, hearing cases before the screen. None of this is really, really important, right, Uh, because there's some benefit to these billionaires to have people like Thomas and Alito kind of in their pocket, right, with these federal wealth tax and so on, Right. These, these whole issues, this, none of that climate change, not important to them. Uh, You know, clean water, not important, affordable health care, not that important. But you know what is important? What you decide to do. And instead, they're kind of forcing people into these back alley procedures, which I don't have to tell you, you know, this caused the death and the inability to carry on so many women i mean you know i don't even know how to describe the anger that i have when i have you know i have a i have a you know a 28 year old daughter and every time i think that my daughter has less rights than my mother than my grandmother i have a real problem with that
1: it's definitely a problem and one of the solutions is the Equal Rights Amendment, which definitely needs to be signed into the Constitution and which I believe has met all the tests to be included. And I, there is supposed to be a big protest march in DC today as we are recording this to get him to order the archivist of the United States to publish the Equal Rights Amendment, and that would make it part of our Constitution. And right now, women are in for, they're only mentioned once, and that's in the 19th Amendment that gives women the right to vote. Other than that, every reference is to man. It is not to people, it's not to women, it's just to men. And I'm sick and tired of not being part of the Constitution. I believe the Equal Rights Amendment is the answer to a lot of the things, including the abortion issue, the choice issue. And I'm hoping that at some point there will be uh, an outcome. It's, It's certainly worth a lot of discussion to get that problem solved and to make sure that your daughter does have equal rights. That stuff that happened to me when I was in law school, applying for jobs, the kind of questions I was asked, that you would be astounded at things that were said to me, well, we can't hire you because everybody else is a man in the office and there's travel involved and we can't possibly let you travel with another person who's a man. I mean, that, that was said to my face. And the Equal Rights Amendment would stop that. It would stop. It It would stop all of this nonsense about women are lesser. We are not. And I, I'm i just hoping that there, the protest goes forward peacefully and uh, significantly and gets a lot of attention.
0: You yeah, know, those protests should go on in every single state. You know, let Biden and others know that yep. it's, it's real, it's here, and it needs to be handled. But Jill, if I could say, you and I are both Jewish, right? Um, and I'm sure that you're feeling the same that I am, the negative effects of the anti-Semitism that's accelerated since the war in Gaza began. That said... How do you feel that Biden has handled Israel so far? There are so many mixed bags going on right now. The sympathy for Gaza is clearly growing. They're winning. I don't care what anybody says. They're certainly winning the PR campaign. I'm curious how you feel Biden's handling Israel and Netanyahu.
1: That is such a tough question because, I mean, I grew up, I'm old enough that Israel was just being founded when I was a child. And I used to put dimes in a little book with a tree so that you filled the tree out and you planted a tree in Israel. And right now, the government of Israel is not the government that was there at the founding, that had the principles that I believe were right. It has swung very right, not correct, but to the right right. And um, I'm not sure that they would even allow me to become an Israeli citizen. It wouldn't be an escape from anti-Semitism elsewhere, because I am a non-practicing Jew. I am—I was raised conservative, and now I'm even less than that. And it's the Orthodox that are being taken in. So I'm—I'm I'm disturbed by the government and by um, Netanyahu's attempts to get rid of the Supreme Court and am concerned about the intelligence that seems to suggest that he knew and did not stop the invasion. But even with all of that said, what Hamas did, and I separate Hamas from the Gazans, although of course the Gazans have not risen in protest or demanded an election and have allowed Hamas to rule without election for what is it, 16 years now? So Mm -hmm. there is some responsibility for them not acting to get rid of the government. But even still, what they did is so horrendous. And uh, I also worry about, I mean, for example, going back to the woman issue, using rape as a weapon of war is so... Where's the outcry? Where where is the the outcry? But look at, there was a lot of rape in in Ukraine by the Russian soldiers. And where was the, I
0: I brought that up the other day on television. so Where's
1: the outcry for that? That was horrible. I don't know. Horrible. I mean, it's so I don't know that that's always just anti-Semitic because the Ukrainians aren't Jewish who were being raped. Um, and the Russians Mm -hmm. are horrible, maybe even worse than Hamas. Um, I do feel like we have to come to some solution and pushing the residents of Gaza into the south and then invading the south of Gaza is a recipe for losing public support. And you're right. Right now, probably because of anti Semitism, the Israeli state is being held to a different standard. And it's sort of like what happened with the three presidents of. Ivy League schools testifying. And I think Brett Stevens had one of the best columns on this, which was, it's the hypocrisy. What you can say against black people, what you can say against Jews. Oh yeah, you can do that. You can say, eliminate the Jews from the river to the sea, which to me is a code word for genocide. They aren't saying let's kill all the Jews but let's push them into the sea. That's the same to me as as genocide. So I think that we have to apply the same standards of the First Amendment. There's a line in the First Amendment. At some point, you do not get First Amendment protection if you yell fire in a theater. Everybody knows that. Well, if you yell genocide to a crowd in Gaza, that's the same thing as yelling fire in a theater if you yell, you know, something against blacks and that's not allowed, but the genocide of Jews is allowed, it's it's simply hypocrisy. And so we need to get the rules right, that you can say neither and apply the same standard to all woke statements. I'm not even sure I know what woke means, honestly, Michael. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we need a lot more public outcry about what happened to Israel. And I think the press has to be more careful in using words like occupation. Gaza is not occupied, hasn't been for many years. They had their own independent government. The Yes, in the West Bank, there is some occupation. That's a different issue. That's not who attacked Israel and not who Israel is fighting back against. So I think we need to get our language straight, and the word occupation really bothers me because what occupation means in that situation is Israel should not exist. They are occupying my land, say the Palestinians of the past, but that's long past. The Palestinians were allowed to stay, many left, but they were allowed to stay, and the country was given to form the state of Israel, the country of Israel. And um, there's just no occupation involved anymore. So I think you know we need to be careful in words that we use in describing what happened and in giving proportionality in terms of the number of people killed by Hamas and taken hostage and raped or just kept as hostage. That number is equates to many more 9-11s than our 9-11, because of our population and size difference versus theirs. Mm-hmm. It's proportionally the same. And so I think that we have to really think about, well, we responded, didn't we? And they're responding to a direct attack. They, I think Israel has a right to defend itself, but it has to stay within the rules of war. And um, on iGen Politics, I've had two experts on the rules of war come on to describe what that means, because I think people don't really, you know, it seems like, well, how can war have rules? Well, it does.
0: And it, no, does. it does. And it
1: should. Yeah. It should. I mean, there shouldn't be war. It's stupid. I mean,
0: I, I mean, none of this, yeah. none of this should be happening altogether. Exactly. But Jill, let me thank you for joining me again on Mea Copa. Wish you a happy thank holidays. Uh, Chag Sameach. Happy New Year. The whole bit. Enjoy yourself. And um, again, thank you so much for um, speaking out and doing all the things that thank you're doing. you do
1: for having me. It's been a pleasure. Happy Hanukkah.
0: And now for today's mea culpa. Katie Porter has introduced a bill that will place a barcode on all ballots so that they can easily be traced back to the voter. Brilliant, right? Well, it's brilliant if you believe in safe and transparent elections. Well, then maybe it is. But as we roll into an election year, we see some red states looking to make voting more not less difficult. New Yorkers got some good news on that front, and new maps will be drawn in 2024 that will make ours a more representative democracy than it has been in the past. And in courts all around the country, Democrats are fighting against bogus redistricting and gerrymandered maps. Now, if we win some of those cases, fingers crossed, of course, the House will swing blue in November. So, goodbye to MAGA Mike, hello, my opinion, Hakeem Jeffries. But what about the red states that are just endlessly caught in a Republican death wish for their constituents? This week, in an op-ed by James Bowie, in the New York Times, he states that, and I quote, where Republicans have gained full control over state legislators and state houses, they have used that authority in pursuit of policies meant to curtail the ability of people in their states to live as they please. End quote. They are actively trying to take your rights away and denying minorities voting rights. The state level Republican agenda authorizes anyone who is not straight and Republican. I mean, in some states like Texas, gender-affirming care for young people, it's considered child abuse. I mean, could you believe this shit? It's considered child abuse. Abortion has been outlawed. So in other words, red states are going the way of Gilead in The Handmaid's Tale. And as impossible as it may sound, it happens to be true. And one way to ensure total GOP control is to restrict voting or gerrymander political opponents out of representation. Republicans are fighting to limit the freedom of entire categories of people by messing with the vote. Compare that to what Gretchen Whitmer and Democrats have done in Michigan and other democratically-led states. It's the fucking night and day. Within months of the start of the new legislative session, Whitmer had increased the state earned income tax credit, expanded anti-discrimination protections for sexual and gender identity, repealed the state's right to work law, and repealed a 1931 statute criminalizing abortion care. That's not to say that blue states are perfect, they're not, but their agenda is meant to help rather than hinder the lives of the citizens that they fucking represent. Look no further than the debate between Ron DeSnotnose and Gavin Newsom. I mean, both men are fairly representative of their parties, but one of them is a fucking fascist who has systematically degraded the rights of his constituents with book bans, abortion bans, gender care bans, I mean, you name it. If it's good for the people, Santos is against it. Now, Newsom, on the other hand, is pro-education, pro-gender-neutral bathrooms, pro-green energy, and he is 100% pro-choice. So if you're an independent or a Green Party voter, consider that vote for anyone but Biden is a vote for Donald J. Trump. And even if by some miracle he's not the candidate, a vote for Republicans is a vote against your best interests. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Maya Culpe is a Midas Touch podcast. Executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group.